Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Looking for a new high-end mascara without breaking the bank? The new L'Oreal Paris Panorama Mascara gives you a high-end lash look in a premium gold luxe packaging. It's all about panoramic volume and fully fanned out lashes. With its tapered brush, the new Panorama Mascara catches every single lash, giving you the false lash look without any of the hassle. Say goodbye to clumps and flakes, because this mascara is specially formulated to resist them all day with up to 24-hour wear. And the best part? It performs better than Luxe mascaras at only a fraction of the cost. You can buy Panorama Mascara on Amazon today. Welcome to Dishing with Digest. I'm Stephanie Sloan, Editorial Director, here with Mara Levinsky, Senior Editor. Hi, everyone. Well, Mara, in the new issue, we have a preview of Chad and Abigail's final days on Days. So to recap a bit, Marcy Miller left the soap last May, and her Emmy-winning predecessor, Kate Mancy, returned for a short period to wrap up the story. So next week, we'll see Chad and Abigail tie the knot and leave Salem, which means Billy Flynn's run has come to an end as well. Um, Now, I spoke to Ron Carlovati, the show's head writer, who felt that he really needed to give this duo a happy ending after everything they've been through, and certainly it's been a lot. Mm -hmm. And because Kate wasn't coming back long term, this was the best way he felt to accomplish that. Um, You know, he's clear to say that this doesn't mean it's the end of them or the end of Chabby, but it's the end of the chapter for right now. Um, And I think Ron was in a really tough position because this duo was so popular, but how do you leave one on the canvas after you've reunited them? Right. Obviously, you know, the other option there could have been another Abigail recast. But I think my gut is that they had such great success with the one recast and burned through so much dramatic story with them that this maybe does feel like an organic time to, like, give them a breath. I think a happily ever after does kind of feel right to me uh, for these two characters. What do you think? Well, I mean, I agree. I mean, I'm very sorry to see Billy go because really we're looking at such a Demera light canvas mm-hmm. right now. And, you know, he was really good and I really liked the character of Chad and really not having that family around doesn't feel very dazed in a way. But, you know, to your point, they played so much with first Kate, then Marcy, then Kate coming in. And, like, where do you go from there? You know, Chad and Gabby really was a bust. So it's mm-hmm. not as though that would have been a feasible solution should Abigail have left alone, you know, especially after everything Gabby did to Abby over the last year. Um, I mean, like, she drugged her when she was pregnant. Um, so to see Chad embark on another romance just doesn't feel right either. You know, which brings up another question. Does everyone need to be in a love story? I, maybe I would have liked to see Chad stay behind and the show work something out with Kate, maybe, where she visited here and there, or that she was in Salem and we only saw her, you know, every so often. But he, let's say Chad and Stefan could have continued their rivalry story or whatever. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. But for me as a viewer, I've, I think I feel like, storylines come and go, and the through lines for me are the love stories. You know, even if a particular Patch and Kayla arc wasn't for me, I'm still invested because it's part of the larger Patch and Kayla storyline. And I certainly don't think that everyone 
has to have a love story. <laughs> but I think that if a character is in a popular pairing, the continued exploration of the love between those characters and the challenges they face is like a large part of what the audience wants to see played where they're concerned. I mean, I think uh, Lulu on General Hospital has actually had more story since her husband Dante exited when his portrayer left the show last year. And she feels like a more vibrant player on that canvas. But I don't think that's stopped Lulu and Dante fans from going like, where's Dante? Right. I mean, it just kind of presents an inherent problem if two actors can't exist on the canvas separately from each other. You know, regarding Stephen Kayla, she's been on the show, you know, since the 80s and so has a much like fuller life in Salem, if you will. So there's more people to cross with her, you know, and then she's chief of staff of the hospital. So you see that too. But, you know, really without Steve there, and especially because I think they've kind of established that there's really not a clear great reason why he's (laughs) not back in town anymore. You know, her story feels a little incomplete. I agree. You know, but then again, is it fair to the actor left behind if one leaves? You know, I think a lot of times what we end up seeing in cases like this is just a a show doing the best it can with the hand it was dealt, as opposed to writers telling the stories that they would really like to be telling in an ideal world. But it's difficult when actors' contracts expire at different times or when, with very good reason, a show doesn't want to lose an asset like a Mary Beth Evans just to send Kayla off to, like, an off-camera happy ending with Steve. You know, you kind of have to recalibrate what a character's storyline life is going to look like. Kind of ironically, the only surefire way to get a true shot shot at a happy ending as a couple on soaps is to not be on the show anymore. That's true. Um, And what does that say? Um, So our guest today is Melody Thomas-Scott, who is marking 40 years as YNR's Nikki. Now, Nikki is a good example of a character who is so closely associated with Victor, but they've gone years where they have not shared storylines, and she's been in stories without a romantic leading man and still remained a very viable character on the canvas. So it certainly can be done. Uh, But I will say I am a Nictor fan. I want them together. So even when they are apart, I'm just sort of biding my time until they're reunited. They are the destiny duo. There's no question. Well, let's get her on the phone and talk about her amazing four decades in Genoa City. Hi, Melody. Hi, Stephanie. How are you? Good. How are you? Great. Thank you for joining us today. And first of all, congratulations on 40 years on Young and the Restless. Oh, well, thank you for having me, and thank you for this unbelievable milestone. I, it's, it's hard to believe it's actually happening to me. <laughs> I guess, you know, if you hang in there long enough, they have no choice but to celebrate your 40th. <laughs> you know, Smart. It's just a matter of, of uh, being, just having perseverance and just uh, hanging in there, but you don't really think about that as the years go by, you're just thrilled to still be at a show that allows you to do what you love to do every day. And and that just sort of keeps growing and growing. You're really kind of unaware of it until the show about six months before tells you, hey, you're celebrating your 40th anniversary. What? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, Melody, we hear that YNR is planning to uh, mark this milestone with, like, a special uh, Nikki treatment. What, what can you tell us about that? Well, um, it's very exciting. It's, um, I don't know, they've never done this for me before. Um, to coincide with the same date as my real anniversary of 40 years, which is February 20th, they also... Uh, wrote a show specifically to celebrate that 
anniversary. So that is airing, guess when? On February 20th, 20th same day. And um, in the episode, Nikki, I hope I'm not giving something away here, Nikki's in jail, um, having to look at her life facing an uncertain future, perhaps life behind bars. She's just reflecting on all of that and uh, eventually decides to write a letter to all seven of her grandchildren. Thank you very much. (laughs) And um, essentially, while she's writing this letter, she stops and pauses and thinks, and it, it, it becomes an amazing trip down memory lane for the longtime fans, longtime viewers, because they're going to see clips of uh, scenes that have not been aired since they original, their original air dates. So it goes way back to my very first year on the show, 1979, and Nikki thinks about, ponders on different times of her life, good and bad. And so it just, I mean, it's just a roller coaster. It's a fabulous saying, I was riding the train myself when we shot it. I said, this is so great. <laughs> um, so they must not miss that. Um, TiVo it or do something to it so you can see it later. But it's it's really a standout episode. Now, mind you, I have not seen the episode yet because I don't think it's finished yet. But I know the general idea. I, I know what the flashbacks were. So um, it's I'm not even a fan, and I'm like, oh, I want to see it. I want to see it. <laughs> So um, it's a it's a cannot miss episode on Wednesday, February twentieth. Um, and what was it like for you to look at those flashbacks? <gasps> oh, well, little technical info here: the way we are set up in studio, we don't get to see or even hear the flashbacks while we're shooting. We hear a stage manager say, okay, and now you're thinking about blah, blah, blah. (laughs) And then five seconds later, they say, and now you're switching to think about blah, blah, blah. So as you can imagine, it's, it's rather difficult to get the emotion and get the thought process going simply by hearing a stage manager tell you to do it. So, um... Because of that, a couple of weeks before we shot that episode, I did ask producers, listen, you, you, you have to at least show me these clips now so that I can know what it is I'm thinking about. So uh, they did that, which was mighty nice of them. Uh, so I was at home and I watched them and I just, uh, it, I take it all back. I am a fan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not just an actor. I am a fan because... I was crying just watching them, and I was thinking back to the good old days with some of those clips, and it was really, really heartwarming and emotional for me. And if it is for me, I know it's going to be for the Uber fans who've watched since day one, and it will satisfy them for years to come. Uh-oh, now I put a challenge out there. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, well, that's quite a sell. We can't wait to see it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm a crier, so I guarantee you I will, I will be gushing. Well, let's go back to the beginning. Um, when you first came to YNR, you were no showbiz newbie. I mean, you acted as a child for Alfred Hitchcock, right. no less. Um, but what did you really know about soaps before you came to YNR? 
Oh, I knew absolutely nothing. Um, I I didn't even know the show. I had never watched one episode of YNR. Um, I, I, I'm sure you've read this through the years. They keep printing it. The week that I got the part on YNR, I also got a, a, a regular role on an NBC sitcom pilot. And as you know, in this business, an actor can't accept both of those types of roles. You have to just pick one. And, of course, I wanted to do the comedy because little wrist frustrated comedian here. <laughs> I'm like, oh, whoa, I'm going to do a comedy. I'm so excited. And then um, we got word that YNR also wanted me, and I did not want to take it. Uh, again, the comedy just was too luring to me. But my agent um, stepped in, and all the actors out there who might be hearing this, believe you, do what your agent says. <laughs> because she said, oh, just do it. She'd known me since I was five years old when I it was in this. She knew me even when, then when I was a child actor at five. And she said, Melody, I love you, and you ha- you're working like crazy, but I think it would be good for you. I think it would be fun. You'd have a good time. And it's only three years. And so I thought, oh, all right. I mean, she was like my mother. I had to do what she said. <laughs> but boy, oh, boy, was she right. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. And the pilot, the pilot did not even sell never became a series, so it was definitely the right decision. What did I know? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there was actually a Nikki number one, and you were coming in as a recast. Did, did that give you any trepidation? You know what? I think I was just too naive to feel trepidation. Um, I know that Erica Hope was the first Nikki. I never met her. Um, and it was an emergency recast which meant everything had to happen very quickly to get me on that stage on my first day. And I was really, you know, unaware of, completely unaware of how soaps worked. Um, I was confident in my ability, but the shooting of it is quite unique from any other medium. So um, my agent was right. I did learn so much about production and about three-camera work and and just so many things that um i i just was kind of like thrown in and uh and got on the train and the train is still going uh but i i never did meet erica but um it, it's funny a lot of people don't even remember that they think oh no 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 you're the first nikki i said oh no i was not uh i think she was there for six months something like that well six months compared to 40 years you know yeah, <laughs> it's hardly. Yeah, well, I, you know, I I don't wish any actor ill will, and again, I I don't really know the circumstance, but um, it I guess it was meant to be. It was fate. I'm very much a fatalist, so there's another instance of fate stepping in and changing my direction, the direction I wanted to go in, which was obviously wrong. <laughs> um, so you get the job, and you hear you're going to be a stripper. What is your first reaction? <laughs> well, I think it was a maybe a year or two into it that um, I got called to John Conboy's office, our executive producer at the time, and that just doesn't happen to actors on YNR back then. Anyway, nobody gets called in to see the executive producer unless unless they're being let go. 
So I got that word, and I thought, okay, this is it. I'm being canned. I don't know what I did, but okay, I'll go to his office, of course. And he, I sat down opposite him in his desk, and he, he looked at me for a few moments and said, Melody, what would you think of Nikki being a mud wrestler? <laughs> well... I I was so thrilled that I wasn't being fired. I, I oh great, that'd be <laughs> fabulous. Oh thank you, John. What a great idea. And uh, so for a week or two, I thought that they were going to make Nikki a mud wrestler. And at that time, it was a very popular event. Apparently, they were all up and down Sunset Boulevard. So. I grab friends, and we go there. We go to all these mud wrestling places, sit up front, get the mud splashed on our face, because, you know, I'm doing research. And uh, I, I want to know all about this. So, that, But then, <laughs> very quickly, the, the censors at CBS heard about this plan, and they told Bill, of course, this was all Bill Bell's idea, they told Bill, no, she cannot be a mud wrestler. So I guess that was too racy at the time. <laughs> um, so he comes up with stripper, which uh, I guess that was not as racy, and they approved that. So um, that turned me in. I, I never, there were no strippers at that time. There were no stripping poles. There, there was not the assortment of strip clubs that you, you can go to today then. So um, that was the end of my research. I said, okay, <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll be a stripper. And, uh, and that's how that happened. But originally Bill wanted it to be mud wrestling. <laughs> That would have been dirty. <laughs> Which really would have been fun, wouldn't it? I mean, we would have had a mud pit on the set. I mean, it would have been amazing. <laughs> and I would probably have shown less, well, theoretically. I think a mud stripper ultimately shows less of their body because they're covered in mud than a stripper does. But not the kind of stripping I did. I have to qualify that because, again, I mean, this was 19, I guess, 1980. And um, if you notice, I, I, I mean, there were, there were many, many things that we couldn't do. I was wearing pantyhose, for God's sake. <laughs> uh, you know, what stripper wears pantyhose? But this was what the network required at that time. So it was very, very mild stripping, but still enough to terrify me because I didn't feel, I still don't feel, I'm not a very good dancer. Um, so I felt acutely on display for the wrong reasons. I, I, I was young, and I, I just couldn't go with it, you know, just as an actor, just go with it. I, I was still too new in this arena to, to do that. I, I wish I could go back and, and just throw all my anxiety out the window and just go for it, but in any event... It's still something that all the fans still talk about 40 years later. So I, I, I think it was just the novelty of it all, not necessarily my ability. Uh, they hired choreographers, wonderful choreographers to work with me uh, for each, each routine. We worked for days in the rehearsal halls at CBS to make it as good as I could make it look. Um, so, you know, it is what it is, and I'm, I'm glad that I went through it. I'm sorry I couldn't throw myself into it a little bit more. But at that time, I just was not capable of doing that. Well, think about the stories you'd be telling today if you had been a mud wrestler. 
Yeah. Well, and of course that went out. Uh, stripping is is always in, apparently, but not <laughs> forever in. Out. <laughs> yeah, they gave you a much more timeless. In fact, you ask a millennial today about mud wrestling, they'll look at you very oddly. <laughs> they won't have a clue what you're talking about. Mud wrestling? What? <laughs> Well, one of uh, the early relationships that Nikki had was with Paul, and you've been working with Doug Davidson, you know, for many, many years. Tell us about that relationship. Oh, I just love him so much. Um, And really, I look back on the Paul-Nikki pairing, and and that hit right off the bat in 1979. Uh, We were both so young and... Oh, golly. I, it's almost like we were different people. And and we, we got to watch each other privately, see the other mature and grow up and and get married. And we, we went to each other's weddings, and we were always there for all the milestones in our personal life. And now he's – I mean, you can't, you can't buy a friend like that to have 40 years behind you a lot of people aren't lucky enough to have that in any friend, and I, I'm so fortunate to have it in many. Uh, some through the show, some not. But um, it's just a precious, wonderful relationship that could never be replaced. And I adore him, and I hope to God something happens and he's back in Genoa City because we miss him so much. Here, here. Um, so when you <laughs> when you look back on Nikki and Paul's early storylines, you know what stands out to you. Um, one of the th- and I, d- I don't think we even have tape of this anymore. I think these shows somehow got lost, the lost episodes <laughs> of Young and Restless. Um, but I'd love to see it again. We did, uh, I mean, it was established that Nikki and Paul were, uh, lovers. And, uh, we did this remote at a YMCA where we're skinny dipping in the pool. And it was this huge pool. We shot it at night, I think, so, you know, it was closed. Nobody was there. But um, can you believe we went skinny dipping again today? Very racy. Skinny dipping to a millennium. It's like, so what's the big deal? But back then in 79, it was a huge deal. Uh, I, I wish I could find tape of it. And, you know, obviously, we weren't, you know, we weren't naked, but we looked naked. We, we we were pretty naked. Let's put it. That Did you way. have pantyhose on in the pool? <laughs> no, no, I didn't. <laughs> well, see, the stripping had not begun yet when we shot that, so I didn't know about the pantyhose rule. <laughs> yeah, we really got away with something on that one. I didn't think of it that way. <laughs> Well, another friendship of, of Nikki's that has stood the, stood the test of time was her relationship with Catherine Chancellor. Tell us about, you know, your years working with Jeannie Cooper. I remember, well, I'm going to tell you a personal story, not, not really a show story. Um, when I was still wet behind the ears on the show, just a young new kid, and I, it's legendary. Jeannie always was, you know, the mom at chicken and she'd bring all of her chicks into her dressing room. I mean, if we had any problem or any question, we would always go to her for guidance. And I was the new kid on the block still. And she was just so gracious and, and warm and loving to me almost immediately. And one of the first times, um, that we did anything outside of the show was 
she invited me to her house in Beverly Hills. I, I don't remember the purpose of it, but I found my way there. I parked my car in the driveway, and I'm walking. I'd never been there before. And I went through this gate that uh, apparently, because the door was locked to the house, so I had to wander about. And there was Jeannie in the pool in a bikini, mind you. <laughs> Whoa. And she had to be, you know, in her early 50s at that time. Imagine being in a bikini and a, a little one at that when you're in your 50s. And she's lying on this, uh, you know, lounge on, in the pool floating around. And I, I did a double take. I thought, is this her? <laughs> <laughs> she looked great. And uh, but that was Jeannie, just so casual and nonchalant. It's like she knew I was coming over, but did she get out of the pool and get dressed? No. She's like, oh, Mel. Man, you want to go swimming? And I was like, oh, well, that's okay. Because she looked better in that pool than I would if I had said I would go in. Um, <laughs> but that was her, you know. You you had to accept her in any fashion she presented herself. And, and it, it was just a wonderful introduction to her life, to her private life. I love that. I don't think I've ever told anybody that before. Ooh. This is an exclusive. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Nikki and Victor have been the show's driving couple for decades. Um, did you know when you and Eric Braden first started working together that this was going to be the show's destiny duo? Not at all. In fact, well, he he had his own storyline with his poor wife Julia and keeping her lover locked up in the basement. I don't know if you remember all that. He was like the bad guy. And he, there were rats in the cell. The rats had something to do with that. I'm not exactly clear on that now. But, I mean, he was torturing. He had this guy prisoner because his wife, played by Meg Bennett, his wife had taken on a lover and Victor found out about it. Now, today, if that happened, he would just probably kill him, right? <laughs> but back then, he took him prisoner and tortured him, and he had a little panel in the living room wall that he could push a button, and this TV monitor would pop out so that he could watch his prisoner suffer down there. I mean, he was a really bad guy. And I was, what was I doing? I was, uh, I don't know, messing around with Paul. Right. <laughs> um, oh, I know. I was being tortured by uh, Crazy Edward. I don't know if you remember that story. Uh, let's just say a lunatic, and he was stalking <laughs> me. And he he had first become aware that I existed in in the bayou watching me strip, and he took a fancy to me. He turned out to be... Uh, completely psycho, and he kept his mother in an urn, her, her ashes in an urn on her fireplace. He was met with an untimely death. But anyway, that's what was going on when all of a sudden we realized that Bill Bell has written Nikki and Victor to have scenes. And Eric and I both, we would look at each other and think, what on earth? You know, has Bill lost his mind? We, we couldn't understand. Neither one of us could understand this pairing at all. But um, that see, that was Bill. Bill was so prescient in doing things like that because he would start a storyline, people might scratch their heads, but then as it goes on, it suddenly becomes clear to you, and it's like he could not ahead of time 
the chemistry that certain actors would have towards each other, the chemistry that we didn't know we had. Um, and the very first time that Victor laid eyes on Nikki was, again, at the bayou. She's on stage with her boa. And he <laughs> takes a fancy to her. And that was how it all began. And it took us a little while of working together because it was, I'm sure it was awkward for both of us. I'm still young and naive and green on the show. He's an established villain. And we thought, what on earth could we possibly have in common? Um, I could probably say that for today, too. (laughs) (laughs) Aside from loving each other madly, what else do we have in common? Mm, Not a lot. Our children, that's about it. But um, anyway, that that was the vehicle in which Bill chose to have these characters meet. And uh, the rest is history. Indeed. Shall we say. (laughs) Yeah. You know, Eric... Braden has has said that he thinks one of the keys to working together so successfully over all these years is that you don't actually, like, know each other that well as people away from work. Does that ring true for you? That that You probably read a quote of mine in what you just said. Um, <laughs> it, it is true, and I have thought about that through the years. And more and more, I think that um, we are too much alike. I mean, we're both Aries. I don't know if you followed oh, that, but we're both Aries. Yep. Mm. We're both, uh, you know, the Aries Ram. Uh, we can both feel very strongly about things. It's probably better that we don't know each other extremely well because, again, I, I think we're too much alike. So um, it's, it's not that it was an intentional thing at all. It just... Uh, we have this tremendous relationship at work, but uh, no, we don't go out to dinner. We don't we don't hang out at other people's houses. I think fans envision these things happening, and it doesn't it doesn't. And when we do travel together, we have a wonderful time, love and adore each other. But um, I guess there is that that certain line that neither one of us. I guess we both silently decided not to cross it. Uh, to protect the characters. Um, that, that That's just my opinion. I might be wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, well, Mara and I were discussing super couples, and we were wondering, as an actor who obviously wants to work and have a juicy storyline, um, is it a blessing or a curse to be part of such a powerful duo? Oh, I never considered it to be a curse. Um, let me think about that. I mean, uh, Whatever the the downsides might be, um, the upsides are so much more and so much better. And and before we became part of this quote unquote super couple, um, I always used to kind of you know we used to have Lori and Lance. I'm going way back now. Yeah, way back original Lionar. You know they were they were one of the super couples, and I used to kind of titter because I was too young to the medium to understand the power of being part of a super couple. I just thought, oh, how silly that they call them a super couple. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, then I would see in the magazines, other shows had super couples too. And it always just sort of amused me. Uh, and even when Eric and I were together, probably even through their first marriage, the huge wedding in 1984 that everybody made such a fuss over, I still didn't get that we were either a super couple or on our way to being a super couple. So then I stopped tittering. 
thought, wow, I can't believe that this has happened to me. And it's pretty cool because uh, there's a lot of benefits to that. So as you, as you look back over the 40 years, are there storylines that stand out to you as favorites? Such a difficult question. Um, well, I tend to look at the Victor Nicky story as just a long, continuing saga that hasn't ended yet. I, you know, it, it just encompasses so many years that it's hard to pick out top scenes or, or top storylines. Uh, it, it, it's more of a living thing to me that is still going on. Mm-hmm. And um, that, that's how I look at that. Of course, looking at the stripping era, that, that's always fun. <laughs> uh, being in a cult, I thought was very interesting. Uh, Paul and Nikki were members of a cult. Very timely when. then. Yeah, well, it was before its time, for sure. Uh, and there was something fascinating about that to me. Uh, and, in, and again, I did research. I read a lot of books on cults and what type of personality would be drawn to a cult. And, boy, Nikki fit that <laughs> to a key. Um, so that was interesting to me. Um, certainly the alcoholism that, that comes and goes, um, the fans seem to love a drunk Nikki, which is, well, I do too. I, I have to admit, I do too. For me as an actor, it's always fun to play something like that, something out of the ordinary. And it seemed to have such an impact on all of the characters that Nikki works with and such an impact on the fans because they had never seen her like this. You know, they think she has now developed over the years of continuing to marry well, not to Victor, but to others. She's now... You know, the lady of the manor, she's learned French, she's learned her, you know, etiquette. And to see her fall off the wagon was very interesting to them. And and to me as well, and still is. Mm-hmm. You do play it very well, I have to say. Oh, thank you. It, it's just it's just fun for me. I, I shouldn't admit that. I should make it sound like I've, well, I've studied it very carefully. But no, <laughs> you know, I mean, everybody knows what it's like to feel drunk, and it's just fun to exhibit that on camera. Um, is there any storyline you've always wanted to do as Nikki, but haven't had a chance yet? Other than mud wrestling, of course. <laughs> well, now that was not my idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I have always had, uh, I guess, a fantasy of what I would like to see. And if Eric hears this, he's going to get angry because he's always disagreed with me vehemently. Mm. I think it would be great for the Newmans, or specifically Victor and Nikki, to something happens, and a a while back when the storyline would have suited this action, I always wanted Nikki, in her misguided way, somehow she was able to lose the Newman fortune. They now are penniless. They have nothing. And I think it would be so interesting to watch them deal with having to rent a little apartment or however they would have to live and all the things that they're so accustomed to, they would lose them all. I think it would be fascinating to watch them try to climb back up the ladder again. Mm-hmm. And I think all of the fans would too. Um, now, Eric, Eric does not like, the, like this idea because he thinks that Victor should always be 
in a position of power and wealth, and and that is, uh, in a way, what makes him Victor. So, of course, he doesn't want to see that story ever happen. It probably never will. <laughs> it would be interesting, though. I mean, wouldn't that be fun to yes. watch them do that? Yes. And it, and it would... They would suddenly no longer be in their upper crust. They would be back down on Earth with the rest of America, you know, with, with most of the people who are struggling and trying to pay their bills and trying to do it. You would never imagine that the Newmans would have to worry about that, but we would love to see how they do it. Oh, yeah. I think it would be great. Well, maybe you could write a letter. <laughs> <laughs> I'll write. How about this? I'll write a letter to the editor gonna... of Soap Opera Digest. Maybe, maybe okay. my boss will print it. <laughs> hey, you know what? You could. And then if the fans like that idea, this whole thing could snowball, and all of a sudden they'd have to do it. Right. Sorry, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> no, he would kill me. <laughs> well, as Nikki's family has grown over the years, you've played mom to some pretty impressive actors. Uh, what do you remember about working with the teenaged Heather Tom for start? Uh, what what a brilliant, wonderful, beautiful girl. I I adore her. Um, she was quite a find. I, I think she was 14, I want to say, when mm-hmm. she came to us. And so brilliant, straight-A student her whole life was, um, because of the show, she had to drop out of classes at UCLA, but um, she would sit there on her computer and, and do her homework. I guess she took some other courses at UCLA that you could do online then. And, and I mean, we all, we all showed up in the morning that day. Uh, with our scripts, we're tired. The director comes out and gives us our blocking. Okay, you move here on this line. And, of course, we're frantically writing it all down in our script so we don't forget it. Heather would just sit there and look at the director and say, okay, never wrote it down. Uh, I mean, she just is so brilliant, and I admire her so much. I wish I could be more like her. I mean, and, and what a talent. What an amazing incredible actress that she is you know being part of the Newman family typically requires one to be able to you know cry at the drop of a hat and boy could she do that and and is still doing that on B&B and is just she's moved into directing now she's just so brilliant she could do anything she wants and she is Mm -hmm. Um, and now what about Joshua Oh, my son, Joshua. Oh, my goodness. I, I just saw pictures recently of him when he first came to the show. He was just such a baby. Just so <laughs> sweet. I just want to hug him. He has grown so much as an actor. I mean, he really is. All, all of the guys on our show are. But he came from a 19-year-old, had not worked very much at all, thrown into a our group, which is uh, intimidating at best uh, to a young person. And he has become now one of the elders on the show that I'm sure a lot of the younger people are looking up to and trying to learn from him as well because he he has such power behind his, his acting and his role as Victor's son. He has really become Victor's son in a way that no script could have ever indicated. This is something he has just taken on, you know, on his own. 
and and so brilliant. I I adore him. I adore him. He calls me mama. I call him son. I don't think we've ever called each other our real names. Uh, I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Because we adore each other. Now, what about Amelia Heinle, who plays Victoria oh, now, Amelia, whose Amelia. baby shower you threw? I, I know I, I gush about Amelia because I just have to. I, I will continue to gush about her until the day I pass over because she's, she is a creature from heaven who was dropped down into our studio. And from the first day I met her, I wanted to just be in her airspace with her because she brings such such an aura of love and goodness and kindness that I've never seen in any other human being. She is an, an exquisite angel. And uh, again, what an actress. I mean, we're, we're surrounded by fabulous actors. Uh, Amelia picked up where Heather left off beautifully and has expanded um, Victoria into yet a whole other realm. Um, certain actors, even though they may play the same role, they bring different qualities to them. And Heather displayed her Victoria, and now Amelia is displaying hers so brilliantly. And it, it really was a seamless transition between the two actresses. Uh, but again, boy, did we luck out with Amelia. I just love her to death. Your connections on screen with all your kids are just amazing. We're just so lucky to have that. Again, just listening to me ramble on, we we have that in real life. And so it's wonderful. It's, it's not even an effort to try to bring it into the character. It's just there. It exists. So, um, yes, I treasure, I treasure them so much. And we have Cammie back, which to my way of thinking, and also Joshua's, She's still Cassie. I, I know she's not Cassie, but, <laughs> you know, we see her in hair and makeup. We, we run over to her and hug her because she's, it, you know, it, Cassie's there. Right. That was a very hard day when, uh, when Cassie died. We were, we were all sobbing in the corners of the soundstage up in hair and makeup. We just, that was a, such a blow to us. Um, so, you know, we're so happy to have her back as Mariah, but to our minds, she's still Cassie. Yeah, in your hearts, in your hearts. <laughs> but such a different, I mean, but she has created a completely different character because Cassie was what she was. Mariah is a completely different character with no commonalities at all. What an actress that is. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, Y&R not only marks a professional high for you, but you met your real-life husband, Ed Scott, there. Um, so tell us about even getting together and like, was it a scandal at the time? Well, I, it, it could have been, if it was, I was unaware of it. <laughs> um, you know, I, I guess that's how scandals go. The people involved in it, they never hear all of the gossip because nobody's going to tell you. Um, if there, if it was, I was blissfully unaware of that. Although in the very beginning, I mean, we met he was already there when I came on the show. And I have to say, and I have said many times, we didn't particularly care for each other for quite a while. And I don't really remember exactly why I felt the way I did about him or he about me, but it just, I guess we were like 
oil and water. It, it, it just, no, you know, no matter how hard you try, it's like, eh, no, no. <laughs> but um, slowly but surely, and again, who knows how all of this happens with the Cupid arrow thing. That took a while. Uh, very slowly, we, we became, um, you know, like goofy friends, buddies, and then, you know, if it's going to happen, you know, we, we certainly weren't thinking about that. It, it just sort of surprised us, and oh, my goodness. Uh, and we didn't tell anybody for, for quite some time. In fact, our very first public outing, shall we say, was Doug Davidson's wedding. Wow. Um, up in Santa Barbara. And, uh, you know, we're just blissfully in love and just thinking, oh, how wonderful it will be to see everybody from the show. And, of course, we're going to the wedding, not realizing what gasps must have been happening in the powder room at the Biltmore in Santa Barbara where the wedding was because I'm sure everybody was like, oh, my God. Again, we were unaware of that. Um, but I, I still remember, I'm glad that that was our first outing to Doug's wedding. Oh my God, Doug's wedding was just so, even Doug was crying. Usually the bride is crying during the vows, but even Dougie was crying because he's just such a big heart. Such, just, and they had their, their, um, what do you call it? It doesn't matter. They had their dog walk down the aisle. Uh, it, it was a beautiful, beautiful thing. So anyway, um, yeah, I suppose it was, you know what? You should probably ask some of the actors who were there at that time about the scandal. They would know more than I. <laughs> well, you, have, you just really haven't heard that story a lot in daytime, you know, recently, I would say, even, of, you know, an actress and a producer. Well, I, I, think, I think there is a great misconception, especially today, because people don't remember back then. I think a lot of people believe that I was Edward Scott's wife and he got me on the show because I was his wife. And, oh. of course, that doesn't sit very well with me because... Of course, hello. It, that, that way of thinking just kind of evaporates in one snap of the finger. All of my professional work going back to age three, you know, they're, they're just like completely denying that that existed when they, when they say that. So I always try to correct them. Uh, yeah, you were Melody Thomas when you joined the show. Yeah. Yes, I was. But, you know, people today, they don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to say, it's kind of like a Hollywood miracle, it feels like, that you and Doug are both still married to the spouses that y- you were at that wedding with. <laughs> oh, uh, that's true. I, I never thought of that. You're absolutely right. So what would you say is, like, the secret to this wonderfully happy long marriage you've had with Mr. Edward Scott? Uh, again, such a tricky question because, you know, what do I know? <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't, I don't think there is one secret for every couple out there. I think you have to find your own ways of making it work. And, and really, we don't even think about, we don't rack up the years every year of, aren't we, you know, pat ourselves on the back. We made it to this. We made it to that. You don't think about it kind of like the same way I don't think about how long I'm on the show until somebody reminds me. You just enjoy growing each year, and you don't put any goal. Well, I suppose I don't technically put a goal on my marriage of like, well, we're going to make it to 50 years. you, You don't think that way. At least I don't think that way. And 
again, because I'm such a fatalist. It's like if it's going to work, it's going to work, and I'm pretty powerless in in making that happen, really. And I know that's a real East way of thinking, but I've always been that way. Uh, now, Edward is not. Edward is more of uh, he likes goals. He likes to write down uh, like he has a bucket list now. Like, oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't even looked at his bucket list because (laughs) I kind of don't want to know until it happens, but we're going um, skydiving next week. (laughs) Well, no, I've already given him the things he cannot do. (laughs) I've already been very firm about. Yeah. Uh, smart lady. No, that, that's out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and he's got, he's done every sport there is out there. I mean, he's moved from scuba diving to golf to uh, he did have his own plane against my wishes, very much against my wishes. He bought a plane and I was so happy when well, it's a long story, but the plane became uh unable to be airborne, let's say. <laughs> and that was that and I just was quite happy with that. I said, okay, so I don't have to worry about him going up in a plane ever again. Mm -hmm. I mean, a plane that he controls. Not that I don't have faith in him. I don't have faith in small planes. I'd rather be on a helicopter. I feel safer on a helicopter, and I know know that that is wrong. The statistics do not back that up. But for some reason, I've always felt safer in a helicopter than a small, tiny plane. Mm -hmm. It's your prerogative. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Melody, were you are you the reason that plane doesn't work? Be honest with us. Did you do something to that no, plane? No, I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> but you know what? If I had thought of that, I probably would have. <laughs> oh goodness! Um, now, obviously, this has been a very difficult time for you all with the passing of Christoph St. John. Um, first of all, we want to express our condolences. And, you know, you two worked very closely together. Um, what can you share? What memories or your favorite memories of Christoph can you share with us? Well, thank you. Um, it, it has been extremely difficult. Um, it, it's still very fresh. It, it's still a jolt that uh, hits our brain every five minutes, even when we're at work trying to do our scenes and trying to not think about it for a little bit, it, it it's proven to be impossible to do that. So um, I've had to work every day since since this happened. So I, I've kind of thrown myself into the scenes and as best I can. But I, I think we're still at a at a point where at least I am, I, I adored him. I, and I, I have not, I have not broken down. I have not cried because I, I've chosen to remain stoic until, well, I guess maybe that's a protective shell that I'm putting on. Um, uh, it's hard for me to even think of, of the scenes that we have shared. And the uh, Christoph had a way of, of just wrapping you up, those big bear hugs. He would wrap you up in his heart almost. I've never known another person who, 
you know, he loved everybody. He, I can't even, I can't say that about myself. You know, if, if I don't like someone, they know it, and it's terrible. I, as an actor, you would think I would be able to hide <laughs> that, but I cannot. Kristoff loved everyone, and everyone loved him at a party or at a press function. I know I would always gravitate towards him. Where's Kristoff? Oh, he's over there in that corner. I'm going over there. Because once you were in in his atmosphere, shall we say, everything sort of changed and everything became wonderful and, and funny and fun and real and honest, but in, in his playful sort of way, he had such a sense of fun and, and was such a perfect actor without even thinking about it. He, I don't believe he was the, the kind of actor that would sit with his script the night before and suffer and learn and think and how do I say this? No, it was absolutely natural, instinctive. He was born to be an actor and, and was since childhood his entire life, and I think that's, aside from his family, of course, I think acting is what gave him the most joy. I understand that. I'm the same. Um, I know we're going to be seeing clips of, of Christoph soon. <sighs> I'm, I'm, right now, I'm, I'm kind of afraid to... I, I don't, I'm not ready to see them yet, and I'm not really ready to think about it other than to say acting with him was effortless and, and such a joy, and, and we would both be giddy afterwards if it was particularly good... We were so delighted and, and put so much trust in each other in our scenes. I completely trusted him to give me what I needed, even though I didn't know yet what I needed, and vice versa. We would talk about it. So, okay, there. I've managed to talk yeah. about him without oh. crying. Well, Mara has tears um, in her eyes. So thank you for that. You've proven yes. to me that I can do it. But, um, you know, it's still very raw and tough, and, uh, you know, we'll be talking about it. For a long time. Mm-hmm. So, um, well, thank you. Really, thank you for sharing I love, that. I, I adore him. Mm-hmm. Thank you for asking. Well, we thank you for joining us today and for just sharing so many amazing memories of your time in Genoa City. Thank you for having me, and and thank you for your insightful questions. I have told you many things that, again, I don't think I have ever said. Yeah, we got um, that good Jeannie Cooper bikini exclusive. Don't think we've forgotten. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, yeah. and I have many more stories about Jeannie, but, you know, that's a good one to start with. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. We so appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much. I, I hope I can speak to you soon. Oh, we would love to. Thanks so much. Um, And again, congratulations. Thanks again. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Melody Thomas-Scott for being our guest. Be sure to pick up a new issue on sale now and come back next week for another podcast.